Welcome to the first episode of season two of the I Make a Living podcast. I'm Damona Hoffman, and I'm an entrepreneur, an accidental entrepreneur. Nine years ago, I came back from maternity leave to a media executive job that I once loved, and I just couldn't make it work. I gave notice without a clue as to what I was going to do next. But I'd always had a small side hustle of writing online dating profiles, so I thought I could do that until my next executive job came around. But the next job never arrived. Yet something even better emerged, an opportunity for me to launch my own business as a dating coach. Since that time, I became a regular contributor to the Washington Post's Date Lab column. My business has been featured in a cover story for Oprah's O Magazine. I've hosted two reality TV shows on dating and relationships, and my business has continued to grow. As a relationship coach, I'm passionate about making connections. So what I most want to do now is to connect with other business owners to hear their stories of how they've navigated the same transition. And that's exactly what I'll be doing on this podcast. For a lot of businesses, the new year is a time to reassess our business goals. The FreshBooks team knows just how busy this time of year can be and how stressed all of us entrepreneurs are about making sure we're on track for our next business cycle. So this month's episodes are all dedicated to the new year and to the transitions that sometimes come from this process of examining where you are and where you want to be. So even though I was unbelievably desperate, I was able to form the way my ideas came across and what I was pitching and presenting and, and wanting from them. Who better to kick off the season than Brant Pinvidic? He is a master of reinvention. I originally met him as a powerhouse TV producer who came in to pitch me ideas when I was a buyer and programming executive at a TV network. He was always amazing at telling stories and getting the idea of his TV pitches to come across in seconds. Now he's transitioned into coaching business executives and entrepreneurs about how to tell their stories. And Brand has a hot new book that everyone from Tony Robbins to Lewis Howes is talking about. I am here with Brand Pinvidic. He is the author of the new book, The Three Minute Rule. And I cannot wait to hear all of your insights about how people can become better with pitching and telling their story. You also have years of experience as a television producer, you have your own brand that you've developed. You have a podcast that you produce. Is there anything under the sun that Brant Pinvidic <laughs> does not do? No, I, I, I basically do it all. I try to do as many things as I possibly can at the highest level I can possibly do them. Now, sometimes it doesn't work out so well, but sometimes it, the ball bounces my way. So I'm, I'm excited. But you're willing to try different things oh, and yeah. just see, see yeah. what happens. So you, you moved to Los Angeles with the intention of being a television producer. Right? Yeah. I, you know, I was struggling in Canada for many, many, many years, basically all my years in Canada, actually. And uh, I wanted to do television. I thought it was a good idea. Found out Canadian television doesn't really work the way you expect if, if you grow up watching American television. So I got really lucky, got a, a really sort of a chance meeting down in Los Angeles the show I had produced up in Canada, they really liked. I moved down here and sort of the rest is history. So I kind of blend it in and off I go. Wait, you, you skipped a whole lot of oh, things. Did I? The yeah. rest is history. Yeah. No, we're going to, we're going to tell everyone each point of this history that was like a turning point for you because 
you can't people don't just come to LA and make it right (laughs) there's something that's different about either the way that you've pitched the ideas the way that you've presented yourself what do you think was different that made you so successful here in Los Angeles I think one of the first steps was I spent a lot of time as a struggling entrepreneur in Canada and I had times where I had to like get people to invest in my whatever I was trying to do and I needed to get a $5,000 check from them right there in their living room otherwise I wouldn't be able to eat and that teaches you how to pitch and present your ideas. But what it really taught me was how to do it without seeming desperate. And that was the main thing because if people sense that you have a desperation about you, you're dead. So even though I was unbelievably desperate, I was able to form the way my ideas came across and what I was pitching and presenting and, and wanting from them without that desperation coming across. And I think I carried that in my first few years in LA when I was pitching television shows, it, it came across much more confident, much more polished, much, much more put together, much more sure of myself because I wasn't doing the standard please buy my television show type pitch. It was really like, I've got a great idea. You got to listen to it. You don't want it. Doesn't matter. Somebody else is going to want it. And it it was because of those years as a struggling entrepreneur, I learned that sort of the the way to let the information lead and be the most powerful element in the room. What set Brant apart in LA is his unique and captivating pitching style. Has anyone ever asked you to explain your business, product, or concept? How many minutes did it take you to describe it? Whether you're speaking to an investor, a client, or even just your mom, every business owner needs to know how to pitch their business. And Brant teaches people how to do this in three minutes or less. Okay, so let's talk about that because I know there's a lot of people listening who have who want to get that money, who want yeah, of course. to pitch that idea. And maybe they've had some of the experiences like you had where they they tried and they fell flat on their face. Yeah. I want them to get the three-minute rule and to find out step-by-step step how to do it. But can you give us a couple of of the major pitfalls that entrepreneurs fall into? Yeah, well, there's in? three reasons somebody says no, right, to your presentation. One is it doesn't work for them. It doesn't fit. Sometimes that's just the way it is, right? You can't avoid that. Number two is they feel like you're selling them. They feel like there's something off. It doesn't work, right? There's, it's It's you. Or they don't get it. They didn't understand it. If they would have understand it, they probably would have been interested or they could have made a proper decision. So I can't deal with the first one. If you, if they don't want it, it happens to me. I pitch 100 TV shows. I, I, I get 99 passes, right? 99 somebody times says someone no. But the other two, can you can really deal with. You can get it to the point where every single person you pitch, present, or try to influence 100% understands what it is you're offering and what you're looking for and the value you, you're trying to convey and that they don't feel sold. They don't feel like you're putting pressure on them and they don't feel like you would say anything to make the deal. Those, that, those two are the kiss of death. And, I can, and the book really walks you through how to do that. And I've kind of specialized in helping people do that in all kinds of industries. Maybe you haven't had a failed TV pitch like Brant and I have. But everyone has experienced the feeling of rejection and failure at some point in their career. And it hurts. Jeez, it hurts. But Brant has an interesting way of reframing this experience. Let's go back to the part where you said you might pitch 100 times and you get 99 passes. Yeah, that's a, that would be a good run. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> and how do you handle the no's? It, 
and I know you've done this a long time, so now you've probably developed, you, you've, you have a thick skin about it. But for the people that are maybe just starting out that aren't used to hearing the no's, how do you bounce back from that? Well, it depends on the context of the no. And I've learned, and that's how I kind of got into this new sort of business and helping and consulting and stuff is because I'd see that frustration in people's faces where they had something they really believed in but they couldn't make people understand it. And they would get that response, like, I, I just don't get it, that kind of thing. And that's really frustrating. At, what I was able to do was, there's no network, you'd never find a network president that didn't understand the concept of the show I was pitching, how I was going to produce it, why I thought it was a good show for them, and how, you know, what, what it would cost to make and how it would work. Like, they knew that stuff. A lot of, again, most times they said, like, it doesn't work for us. We're not interested. No, I don't think it's going to work as well. I don't think the audience is going to like it the same way you do. That's okay. You get used to the idea on its merits being passed on because you feel like you did everything you could, right? It's like if you're going to go kick a game-winning field goal and you shank it, like, it's about you, right? If the other team scores, it's about them. And it's easier to deal with when it's about them. When they don't want it because of their issues, you can deal with that. When they don't want it because of your issues, that hurts. And it hurts a lot. And I've done that before. I've screwed up pitches where I know that like I screwed this pitch up. They didn't even get they didn't even get through it. They didn't understand it. They they didn't give me a chance. But it's a learning opportunity, right? Like if you look at it like Maybe you whiffed on that one. I, yeah. I, I'm not good with sports analogies, but I think that was a sports analogy. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's another <laughs> okay. one. Yeah. So you whiffed and you could look at it like, oh, shoot, I screwed that up. How do I? Then yeah. the desperation can kick in yeah. and you can try and chase it and say, give me another chance. Or you can say, what can I learn from this? Right. And yeah. And, and you basically develop a way of combating that. And I just happen to be able to do that, you know, really well. And now I've found a way that I can teach that to others. Yeah. You also mentioned that you, it's either right for them or it's not. And um, as a former TV executive, I know sometimes people would come in thinking they understood my audience or what what we were looking for, but they're, they're over here and they haven't, either they haven't done their research or they don't really know the conversations that are happening internally. Well, and they've, what they've done is they've turned what they, what I call, they've turned to unjustifiable passion is what I call, because I teach a lot about confidence and passion, right? Those are two things that a lot of execs want me to sort of help them with. And I say there's two real danger areas, passion with promotion, which means when, when you really want the ending, you'll get promotional instead of passionate, which means the audience is going to feel like you'll say anything to make this deal. That's really bad. Number two is unjustifiable passion, which is you're really excited about something that doesn't justify being that excited about someone coming to pitch you an idea about something for your network where it's like, yeah, that's not what my network's looking about, right? And they're so excited about it. And that's why we lose friends in politics because you can't justify why someone would be so passionate about one of the two parties, right? No one gets upset about someone who's ambivalent towards politics. And it's the same thing in ideas. And I teach people, you'd never want to make the pitch or presentation about you because then they're going to judge you as part of the idea. And you don't want that. I've had people come into my development office to pitch me a TV show and they're so excited about it that I'm saying to myself, okay, well, that's not a good idea. But if you think that's a great idea, that's going to change the way television's done. Like, I don't want you in my office again. And that's what happens a lot is that you're passionate about your opinions. Nobody wants that. They want your facts. You want to be passionate about your facts? No problem. Passionate about your opinions? No. And I walk people through, like, if you could start the phrase with, I think, or this could be, like, leave it flat. 
let it sit on its own. You don't need to make a big thing about it. How do you assess whether it's your opinion or or it's it's a reality? Yeah, if it's a subjective thing. I, you know, I think this show is going to rate really well. I think the audience is going to love this show, right? Like, okay, what does that have to do that's with this specula- idea? Yeah, that's speculative. It's your right? opinion. That's great. But I've had people get excited about how this – or a biotech company will get excited about how their new anti-rejection drug is going to change the way healthcare is done in America. And it's like, really? Like – okay, that's fine. But now I'm like judging you against that statement from the second you've made it. And I'm thinking like, God, if you think that's what's going to happen, like you're an idiot. That's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty And it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous slope to get on. And that's what people do is they overcompensate for a lack of clarity in their idea with big personality or over the top passion and promotion. And that's just like, I see it all the time. And I actually do better with introverted people in my process because they don't want to do that. They don't want to do bells and whistles. They want clean and clear and they'd love to be able to just pitch something without having to make a scene. Whereas the extroverts like myself, like, you know, I default to being a clown and I can, I can make anything sound good because I can use my personality, overpower it. But that's because I'm not working hard enough in the actual core of the information. If the information was stronger, I wouldn't need to do that. Oh, that's a good point. Also extrovert here, but I'm married to an introvert and he has a very different pitch style. Right. He actually will write out everything word for word that he's going to say. He likes to commit it to memory. Yeah. I'm like, I've got to be off the cuff and in the room, right? Do you have a particular style when you're preparing for a pitch? Um, yeah. So I'm pretty good about writing it out too, because I like to write. So I'll write out the way I think the flow would be, but now I've got the system so clean. Like I can, I can find the core of the information and the most valuable statements like so quickly and in anybody's, I do assessments all the time of businesses and entrepreneurs and I can hear it right away. I know exactly what to say. And, and I know how to lay those things out so cleanly now. And, And I'm really good about just being like, And in the book, like I said, it's like, here's what it is. Here's how it works. Here's how I can verify that. And here's how we work together. That's pretty well what I do. And that's what everybody, that's just what they want to hear. Nobody has time for anything else. They don't want to hear neuro-linguistic programming. They don't want to hear any of this fluff and pageantry. They don't want big adjectives. They just want to get to the point. Like, what is it? What is it? How does it work? Okay, we're halfway there. Brant likes to say, simple is the new sexy. This is why you need to keep your story short and concise. It's The book is called The Three-Minute Rule. Say less to get more from any picture presentation. Really, Brant, three minutes, though? Well, what's interesting is, is like people think it's just about condensing your ideas down to three minutes, right? And yeah, that's a part of it, but it's really more... Before you make a decision and, uh, you know, the people listening today, imagine, I've, I know you've had people come to talk to you, pitch or present you something, and you've had that yes or no in your head in the first 30 seconds or maybe 15 seconds or five seconds. Poor guy comes to pitch you something. He doesn't even get through it, right? Because we form a decision, yes or no, when we've conceptualized it, after we've contextualized it, how it relates to us, and then how we can actually do it. And most times we go through that really quickly because the person is taking us on a long-winded journey or they're not to the point and then we've formed a yes or no and what the three-minute rule does and why it's three minutes is that if you do it right if you lead someone with storytelling and walk them through the process piece by piece you could actually extend 
that decision-making process where they suspend their deci- their decision on whether they want to be engaged with you for all, for up to three minutes if you can. And that's really the goal is to try to get as much valuable information forward as possible. How much of that suspension and creating that impression is impacted by like the way you show up in the room or your materials, your actual presentation and the way that you're giving the pitch? Almost none today. Almost none. Nobody cares. Nobody cares what you wear. Nobody cares how you speak. Nobody cares what language you use. They just don't give a crap. You know what they want to know? What the hell is this? How does it work? Are you sure about that? Great. Now, can we do this? That's what they care about. And so I work with companies that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on branding and positioning. And it's like, nobody's listening to your story yet. Like, you don't even know how to explain what your company does. You've been doing this for 14 years and you don't even know how to explain it cleanly. Like, that's really where people miss is they think they need pretty slides. They think they need graphics or cool fonts or they got to wear the right tie or use the right, like I said, neuro-linguistic programming stuff or use your client's name or any of this stuff or identify the problem first. And it's like, oh my God, unless you have a time machine and you can go back 15 years, none of that stuff works anymore. That's uh, so it's so true. Yeah. yeah. And, and we do think a lot about about the presentation and about the packaging and probably not not no. enough about the substance, the substance. really kind of matters now. But in addition to the substance, I've been focusing more on also the audience, right? Like yeah. who who is it for? And I find that's an element that a lot of people would miss in a pitch. Yeah, they cuz they're they're always looking a little broader and they don't want to be realistic about what this is in. It's like when you're in TV like you could go pitch the show to Lifetime or to ABC, but if it's not in that wheelhouse, what is the point? Mm-hmm. And I think that when you get a little bit more confident in your information and the power of being able to pitch something clearly and, and concisely, it gives you a little bit more security and like, okay, I don't have to pitch you because I don't have to be as random. I know how, I know how to say this. I know how to deliver it. Now the right people will understand it. Maybe they don't Again, maybe they don't buy your TV show, but they understand it. And that is very important. Yeah, it's all it's all like being able to tell your story and then building those connections yeah. and getting somebody else to like find the commonalities, right? Yeah, the story. Well, it's, it's also, it's cutting through the clutter. What a horrible cliche, but that's part of it is to get noticed or to get heard is important. And what's crazy now is it's not the person shouting the loudest or saying the most words that gets noticed. It's not like that. It's the person with the quiet sort of confidence. It's the simplified information that's screaming. I tell this great story on stage about Niagara Falls. Did you know Niagara Falls froze one time near the turn of the century? It actually froze, stopped flowing. And what happened was is the 5,000 residents in Niagara were jarred awake out of their sleep, coming out of their houses, wandering the streets, going, what's going on? Because the silence was almost deafening to them because the raging torrent of water, the thunderous sound of those falls had become so normal for them that they had just tuned it out. It was just part of the white noise of life. And the silence was the loudest sound they had heard in years. And right now today, people who talk less, people who say it cleanly, people who stick to the simple facts and the simple information are like the loudest people out there. There's the people you notice, it's how it cuts through. Because the years of marketing and the clickbait 
is over. That stuff is just nobody pays attention. And I, I've had to change my keynote speeches over the last year because people aren't falling for clickbait. I used to do this thing where it's like, have you ever clicked on a headline that you thought was going to be good and you get there and it's all clickbait to something? It's like now people don't even click on those anymore. Everybody knows what clickbait looks like. Nobody's fooled by it. Nobody's going for it. It's like that's how fast our society is becoming hypersensitive and really distrustful and we're not swayed by stuff. It just doesn't work anymore. Well, yeah, and we're overloaded, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that it's the three-minute rule, right? Time, our, our time is so precious. I always say that's the one resource. It's not renewable. You will right. not get any more of it. So how you spend your time is really is really valuable. Yep. You've spent your time and your career in many different ways. Yeah. We're, uh, you're, you're still producing... Yeah, a little bit here and there. Yeah, I like it. it. Mostly shows I really get fall in love with. I don't do it as a as a business as much anymore, which is just amazing. Yeah. So now now you have this whole other personal brand that you've mm-hmm. developed and as an author, now as a also as a podcast host, you you have a new podcast called Ideas, People and Opportunities, IPO. Yep. Um wh- where were the did that evolve for you just naturally but based on what you were curious about or was there ever an intentional focus to shift your your career path I mean it depends who I'm talking to <laughs> my version <laughs> of that story will be different You're talking to me That's right. <laughs> Um it was a it was a little it was a it was a purposeful switch I had got to the point where I realized like I'm not happy in the again a cliche but i wasn't happy with the way tv was working for me anymore i had done a lot for the money and because i i had big paychecks that i chased and and which is great when you're chasing them but then once you get there you're like okay well now what am i doing this for again and that became a real difficult for me and the and the marketplace changed a little bit tv became a little bit less predictable for me where i couldn't really tell what shows were going to sell or not very rarely would I have gone out with a show before that I felt 100% would sell and have it not sell. Like maybe, you know, in the previous 15 years, that might happen twice. Whereas the past two years, it happened probably a dozen times. And I found that frustrating. Um, and then it started to be a job. Like it started to not be glamorous or creative or really feeling this sort of putting up a target and knocking it down. And the, and the, And that was not very fulfilling. Again, another cliche. But... I started to find I had more joy in other areas of life and I had started working with a company about how to help them pitch and present their uh, investment opportunities and the guy had called me and left this voicemail where he was like, you changed my life. I'll never be the same because of that. And I was like, whoa, like I like the sound of that. And I'm like, I'm, I always joke, I'm one step from being a caveman. So my <laughs> ego was like, ooh, me likey this, like – Brent is important. Oh, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so it was like, oh, so then I'd fly down to Florida and work with a biotech company on their new, you know, phase two drug release. And I would be able to help them raise $50 million. And it was like, oh my God, like, I really liked that process. And so I started to be more important in the business world and that felt really good. So I started writing for Forbes and that went really well. And so then I realized like, hey, I can make this a thing. And I was going to do it sort of part-time and just sort of straddle the two. But once stuff started working on the other side, it was just like, ooh, one foot out (laughs) is hard to keep one foot in. If you've got one foot out, it's going to be hard to keep that other foot in. And that's what happened to me. I just got to the point where it's like, I don't love this 
and I like this side better. So now you're driven by your passion and yeah, yeah, and it, and it helps change people's lives. Yeah, it's it's not curing cancer or anything, but uh, yet, not yet. <laughs> some of these biotech companies. You never you know. Might, right? I, I have a, a really exciting one on type one diabetes, which I actually think they probably have a cure for it. Wow! And it's so it's kind of neat to be a, a connected to something like that, where you're like, oh my god, like. I, I help these guys explain this to people like this is really exciting. So I, I do like that. And it's just a different group of people. You know, TV is a very small community. You feel like it's the center of the world. And then when you get out, you're like, oh, wait a second. This is a really small area of life. And so it's been really exciting. And I have so many friends and colleagues that have now been <laughs> reaching out, just looking for what their next chapter is effectively. They're like, you got out. Help yeah. me get out, Brad. There's a lot of that. And I tell the joke, you know, people ask me all the time, why would you get out of, you know, why, why would you get out of entertainment to get into this business circle? And why, why would, you know, why did you do that? And I say, you know, I get that question from people in the TV business too. It's just how, how, how did you do that? You know? Do you have a 10 year plan, a five year plan? Do you look out to the future and think, well, this is what Brant's going to do next? Um, yeah, I've got that I'm pretty focused on that now because I've been, I wrote an article for Forbes about how we, we plan for success, but we don't prepare for it. Brandt is actually being kind of modest here. His Forbes article, Four Steps to Prepare, Not Plan for Success, went viral. And now he's hired to teach these principles to business employees and entrepreneurs across the globe. His four steps are one, being specific about how you define success. Two, bringing some of the intensity and drive you've mastered at the office to create personal and lifestyle goals to conquer. Three, preparing to appreciate your future success by learning to take the win. And number four, finding a cheerleader. Someone who will hype you up and celebrate your wins even when you won't. I haven't been a cheerleader since high school, but I could sure use one in my business. Who's out there rooting for you? And it's a big difference. When you plan for success, you're strategizing, you're looking to the future, you're plotting your schemes and your plans and your your path to get there, right? And we're actually pretty good at that as a society. We, we're good at figuring out how we're going to get somewhere, but we never practice for what it's going to be like when we actually get there. So what happens is we get there and we just start moving to the next plateau of success. And success that's not defined and practiced and rehearsed is really hard to experience. And that happened to me is like, if I could have seen myself 15 years ago, I would have thought, oh my God, you've made it. This is the greatest thing. You must be so happy. And it's like, wait a minute. I don't remember feeling like that one day. And that just bothered me that I, I kept doing that. So I've been working with, um, you know, relatively high net worth individuals a lot on their ability to feel successful in other areas besides just being in the office and making another sale or buying another company or whatever it is they do. And so for me, my, my goal now is to really practice on if it never gets better than this, I've got to be super happy with this now. And so I'm, I'm working on like experiencing as much joy in a day as I can possibly fit in. And then every day I'm like, can I get more joy in today than I did yesterday? And some days I do really well. Some days I don't do as well as I hope, but that's really my goal. Um, and in the five or 10 years, I plan to do a lot more work in my foundation and do a lot more of my entrepreneurial training for high school kids and, I have a travel adventure club that I'm really excited about that I that I do and I want to do that more full time. So, wow, you do all the hard work and then you yeah, but I could I could have kept doing the hard work for another twenty years, and that's sort of where everybody's in where it's like okay, well, do you ever cash in any of that or do you just keep going and like you don't want to 
bail out at 24 years old, like, okay, well then, you know, you're going to be a whitewater rafting guide for the rest of your life. And I, I have friends that do that and they're happy, but there's financial limitations to that. Right. And so it's like, you get to a point where it's like, okay, like I've done really well. I don't, I'm not at the next level of lifestyle, you know, but, and if I pull out the sort of take my foot off the gas now, I might not ever get there, but it's like, I don't really need to do that. I don't think. So there's a balance between when you start to focus on what life actually is fun and joy and excitement and, and cashing in some of the hard work you've done, or you just keep working hard forever. I don't know what the point of that is. Yeah. So you, instead of doing five-year planning for the career specifically, you're like, you're like five-year planning for how you're going to feel. That's right. What's the, what's, what's my ability to cram joy into every second like how do i do that in five years what will i be doing in 10 years the career and, the, and that stuff that all works out very few people f- don't have their stuff work out in life you know like some people are destined they just seem to always catch a bad break i get it i know people like that but most people like like you like just things just continue to work and whether it's this job or that job or this thing you're doing like if you look back you're like oh wow i'm better i'm wiser i'm probably richer and have better relationships like things are better and they just continue to get better so i don't spend any more time wondering like well, what am i going to do next and what if this doesn't work like the book was is the last thing that i that i will do probably that i have those feelings because this was super stressful because you have a publisher that's you know written big checks and has some some expectations and you're like oh god what if i fail like so I might not put myself in those positions again. Yeah. Well, you definitely didn't fail. And mm-hmm. you have lucky written so far. an awesome book, The Three-Minute Rule. Say less to get more from any pitch or presentation. And also people can check out IPO for more yeah. of your ideas. And my website's and- got all my stuff. You can go to 3minuterule.com and brampinvidic.com. There's lots of stuff there. And I'm, I love talking to people and helping them. If you got an idea and you need to figure out how to pitch it, I'm happy to help turn those things around. Excellent. Before we go, mm-hmm. we like to ask everybody – for your favorite tips or tools. Do you have a tip, something, in addition to all that you've shared with us already, yeah. something that you have learned along the way that you figured out about your business that you'd like to pass on or a tool like an app or or another business tool that you cannot live without? I will say I have, <laughs> that's funny. I have adopted Tony Robbins' cold dip in the morning. Tony Robbins, who you probably know as one of the top lifestyle and business coaches in the world, is one of Brandt's personal inspirations. Tony starts every morning with a five or six minute lounge in his sauna and then a quick dip into his 50 degree Fahrenheit freezing cold outdoor pool. Tony has said that this practice gets his heart rate up so high it might as well be a morning workout. But here's the real reason it's good for you and your personal development. Oh, that's brutal. It's hard to get away from it now once you do it. Really? Because here's what it does. It trains you to stop negotiating with your brain. Because everything about me in the morning says like, well, we can do, we can jump in the pool tomorrow. Or we can do this later. Oh, let's just go in the shower this morning. We don't need to do that, right? Everything about you is saying that. But what you get in the habit of being like, hey, shut up. We don't negotiate. We're doing this, <laughs> right? And that is a really important skill because I'm a bit of a procrastinator Everybody kind of is like, if you ask people what their fault is, they'll all say like, oh, I'm a procrastinator. It's like, because we all naturally want to do that. And it just like, if I can do that at 6.45 in the morning, uh, sending an email that I'm not really in the mood to send or having a tough, tougher conversation with somebody, it feels a little bit easier. Like I convinced myself to do more. All I can tell you is I started doing that a year and a half ago and it's been like, I'm just better. I'm just better than I was before. 
facing your fears, yeah, just, getting comfortable you being just do uncomfortable. Something, yeah, just do something you're not, you don't want to do. Just push past that because we all face that every day. Lots of stuff you don't want to do. Surprise, surprise, you didn't do it today. Okay. Well, you can just keep doing that. This sounds like my nightmare. I used to finish all of my showers with a cold rinse, but that was purely in pursuit of my hair goals. And I've since ended the practice. I'll take it. I don't think I'll be doing the cold dip. Oh, but cold shower. I'm telling you. I'll it's, find another another thing that I don't want to do win. and I'll report back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brant. As a business owner, having clarity is so important. A new year is the perfect time for you to get that focus. Let this be the year that you learn how to nail that elevator pitch. This is the time to know your audience on a deep level so that you can present your business precisely for them to understand. Don't forget to implement Brant's great takeaways from today's episode. Nail that pitch in three minutes or less. Follow the four steps to prepare, not plan for success. And maybe try out that cold plunge. And don't forget to get your copy of Brant's book, The Three-Minute Rule. We'll put an easy Amazon link for you to get it in the show notes, or you can find it wherever you buy your books. And catch up with Brant at BrantPinvidic.com and follow him on social media at BrantPinvidic. This podcast was brought to you by FreshBooks, the number one cloud accounting solution for small business owners and their teams. Want to know more about how you can save hours on accounting paperwork and focus more on your business? Head over to freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L to receive an exclusive offer. That's freshbooks.com slash I-M-A-L, short for I Make a Living. Our audio engineer is James Morris. Producing and direction comes from Paco Arismendi. And you know me, your host and producer, Demona Hoffman. You can connect with me at Demona Hoffman or at DemonaHoffman.com. And I'd love to meet you at one of our I Make a Living live events as we tour the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. Go to iMakeAliving.com to find out when we'll be in a city near you. I hope you can join us because it's a new year and it's your business. See you next week.